Hi. So I'm not sure when the last time this podcast got updated on like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and whatnot. I feel like it's been maybe like a month. So if this is the only place you follow me, then this is the first you've heard from me in a minute. But I did recently, like two or so weeks ago, upload something onto my YouTube channel. And normally when I do that, I try to just take the audio from those YouTube uploads and put them onto my podcast RSS feed so that it'll still go out to like Spotify and whatnot. I decided not to do that for this last video that I uploaded just because it wasn't exactly like a labor of love. It wasn't content that I necessarily wanted to be making, but that I felt like I needed to, because if you didn't watch it, I was pretty much just calling out another YouTuber who makes content that is uh, pretty harmful and often in a very targeted way. And I had basically watched her content become increasingly unhinged and genuinely kind of dangerous over the last, like, year, so I just felt like I couldn't go on any longer without saying something. But this creator definitely operates within, like, an echo chamber and has an audience that has become incredibly cult-like. They are extremely dedicated to her, so as I expected, they have swarmed my video. The like-to-dislike ratio on that video is not ideal, though actually not as bad as I thought that it was going to be. It's been up for a little over two weeks now, and I think that the like percentage is at like 57%, so more than 50% positive, that's pretty good. With this person's audience, I was definitely expecting a majority dislikes by now, so I'll take that as a win. The comment section, though, is a fucking disaster. I haven't actually looked at it in about a week at this point, so I have absolutely no clue what anyone is writing there. If you've gone to that comment section in the last, like, week, week and a half, I probably didn't see your comment, but I appreciate you anyway. But so after I uploaded that video, I did think... I should probably upload something a little less controversial for my next post. Because my channel average right now for my like-to-dislike ratio is definitely suffering. So I figured I should probably try to upload something that's not gonna get, like, a cult of impassioned weirdos mad at me again. But I guess that I just abandoned that plan because here I am with another fucking depthy herd take. So the rest of this episode will just be audio from a video that I just uploaded earlier today on my YouTube channel, and it is about the Tubi movie that was made a couple months ago in September of 2022 regarding the Deppy Heard trial. I remember when the trailer came out and when the stills were hitting social media, but then I couldn't remember anyone actually talking about it, and... I, I do think that that's good in a way because it was such an obvious cash grab that I'm glad no one really wanted to support it, even though it's like a free movie. So I get that watching it is still supporting it in, in a way, but it is really hard to turn down free stuff sometimes. But really the fact that I didn't see anybody talking about it just kind of piqued my interest. And I think there was a part of me that was like, what if it's actually good? It wasn't, though. I watched it. It's really bad. And I knew that I needed to make some sort of content about it literally after the very, like, opening scene. Because I was kind of appalled. I don't think that the video is going to be super compromised by a lack of visuals. 
There's a part where I was talking about the ADR in the movie, where you might want to see the actor's mouths to understand what I'm saying about it. Um, or there's another part where I like fast forwarded through a scene of Johnny and Amber's characters kissing. And so that might be confusing without the visuals. But other than that, you'll be fine just listening to the audio from the video. You don't like need to watch it. But I would encourage you, pro Amber people, if you watch stuff on YouTube a lot, especially if you consume content that's mostly reasonable and especially like feminist, I would definitely encourage you to watch and support pro Amber content on the platform. Obviously, the pro Johnny side has been dominating social media for a while, and we are kind of starting to see a shift on Twitter or even TikTok to a degree now, though. For the most part, TikTok is still like a cesspool, um, but there's been a lot more mainstream support for Amber online. The YouTube terrain, though, is still pretty rough, and part of the problem is the way the YouTube algorithm works, especially for smaller channels like myself and like some other pro Amber channels like um, Raiden Greer, Staircase Writ, Planet Sid are some of the ones that I'm aware of. Since we don't have huge follower bases, we're not in a significant amount of users watch histories. So that's one of the things that YouTube bases where to suggest your videos on is the watch history of the people who watch your videos. So if most of the people who watched my videos also watched Sarah Z's videos, then my videos would be more likely to get suggested on videos that Sarah Z uploaded because YouTube would assume that we have like the same audience. But because I don't have that many regular viewers, there's no established profile for what my audience looks like, which means my videos are just gonna get suggested based on the metadata. So like the words in the description, the title, the tags on a video, and since I'm talking about Depth Be Heard a lot, my content is getting suggested on other content talking about Depth Be Heard, whether or not those other videos are courting a similar audience. And a vast majority of the videos are not. Most of the people on YouTube talking about this case are staunchly anti-herd, which means if you're making pro-amber content, you're probably gonna start getting recommended on the content of people who are extremely anti-herd. Making YouTube a very hostile environment for any sort of anti-dep commentary. So again, if you have a watch history that's full of reasonable, intelligent content creators that are making well-informed videos and don't play into the over-sensationalized or conspiratorial talking points surrounding pop culture things, not just Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, but like overall people who talk about things in a reasonable way, I would encourage you to go seek out some other pro Amber content so that the YouTube algorithm can start recognizing some sort of community around the Depp v. Heard conversation that isn't exclusively flattering to Johnny. Because personally, I would just love it if YouTube would stop recommending my videos on the videos of the Popcorned Planet channel. Just because we talk about some of the same topics doesn't mean that I'm courting the same audience. So that is my plea to you. Go give some pro Amber people some of that sweet, sweet engagement. Uh, anyway, here's the rest of the episode. Alright, so if you've been following me for a minute, you already know that 
I've done quite a lot of content around the Depp v. Heard trial. Granted, so has like every other YouTuber. It was a very big cultural moment, especially if you were on the internet. It was pretty much just unavoidable. But since we're currently in the like one year anniversary of Depp v. Heard, I've been working on a lot of content to kind of commemorate this last year of absolutely bizarre hot takes on the internet. While I've been going through my old notes from the case, I suddenly remembered, didn't they make a movie about this? Like a shitty Tubi original? The answer was obviously yes, and I knew that because I remembered the trailer, I remembered seeing stills from the film on Twitter, but then I was pretty sure the movie already came out and I don't remember anybody talking about it, which in some ways makes a lot of sense. It was definitely not a necessary film at all. With how much coverage this trial got on social media and the fact that it was live streamed for six weeks so anyone with internet access could pretty much watch it for free, there was definitely no shortage of content surrounding these events. And I think a lot of people definitely saw the film as a pretty obvious cash grab, so I don't think a lot of people really wanted to support it, but it was still like a free movie. Watching it wouldn't take anything from you but your time, and maybe like a little bit of your dignity, but I think what really doomed this film was that it came out in September of 2022, and the trial ended in June. So we were really only a couple months out from the trial verdict, and even then, both parties appealed aspects of the verdict anyway, so this was still very much an ongoing legal case until December of 2022. Obviously, this was a very premature look back at something that was still kind of going on. Still, Tubi decided to release this film. It was released on September 30th, 2022. I think it was really only announced like a few days prior. And it was called Hot Take The Depth Slash Herd Trial. The chief content officer at Tubi said, with our partners at Marvista, this Tubi original was fast-tracked into production to capture a timely take on a story that became part of the cultural zeitgeist, painting a unique picture of what millions watched play out in the headlines over the summer. Now, a few days ago, I watched the film, and I'll give it to this Tubi man, it is definitely a timely take on events. And by timely, I mean that the film is pretty emblematic of where we were at like a couple months ago in terms of the cultural perception around Depp v. Heard. It is littered with misinformation, heavily biased in Johnny Depp's favor, and primarily moved by Johnny's celebrity. Not so much the facts of the case, more so like a fanfic idea of who Johnny Depp is. Now, I don't recommend anyone else watch it at all, but I would like to make an example of this film to address the very bizarre way that a lot of people reacted to the trial a year ago. So the first big issue with this film, other than just the fact that it exists, is that it not only has a very biased stance on events, it is so uninformed that it doesn't even seem to understand how biased it is. The actors themselves have even tried to push this idea that it is a neutral telling of both sides. Mark Hapka, the guy who played Johnny, said, We were on the same page, I think, of how we wanted to tell this story, which was as neutral as possible and authentic to the testimony, authentic to what was shared, and to try to avoid embellishing at all costs, and make as neutral a movie as possible, because that's, in our opinion, 
good filmmaking. Let's ignore the fact that good filmmaking typically takes more than a couple weeks to complete, but even in Mark's statement, I think there are some red flags here. First of all, I don't really think it's possible to have a neutral take on events if you are actually educated on all of the allegations and all of the evidence in the case. I would definitely encourage people to go into their research on this case trying to be neutral. Before I really started digging into the allegations, I had no allegiance to Johnny Depp or Amber Heard. And from what I had seen of the trial and had read on social media, my basic stance was like, they both seem shitty. But once I started looking into it beyond just the evidence present in the Fairfax trial, the evidence is just pretty obviously stacked in one party's favor. And that party is definitely Amber Heard. What's more is that in Mark's statements, the filmmaker's effort to be neutral took the form of them being authentic to the testimony and authentic to what was shared. And by that, what he means is specifically what was shared in the Fairfax trial in Virginia, in a court in which Johnny and Amber were definitely not on equal ground. And that's something that I just really, really hate about the public discourse surrounding this case because most people's exposure to it is obviously the trial that was live streamed for six weeks. And that trial was heavily biased in Johnny's favor. Quite a lot of Amber's corroborating evidence was completely precluded from being heard by the jury. The judge presiding over this case has like the most liberal definition of hearsay that I've ever seen. And also, Johnny Depp has quite a lot more money than Amber Heard, so the quality of his legal representation was just way better than Amber's. I mean, not only did Amber's team not have any real experience with another high-profile case like this, they didn't even specialize in defamation. Elaine was like an employment discrimination attorney. So that's already like a core problem with this Tubi film. It uses US trial testimonies to paint the picture of the entire relationship between Johnny and Amber, even though the US trial is definitely not the most reliable source for understanding these allegations. Still, I have a very hard time believing that the people at Tubi actually thought that they were making a neutral film. All you have to do to realize how biased this film is is just watch the opening. Tell the world, Johnny. Tell them I, Johnny Depp, a man. I am a victim of domestic violence and see how many people believe or side with you. All right, so right away, there is a very clear slant to this storytelling. You can't say that you're not picking sides when the first thing you hear in the film is a reenactment of an audio recording in which Amber is definitely being painted as an abuser. This opening is just already priming you to side with Johnny Depp. But it is itself a great example of how misinformation spread during this trial, because that recording that the actors are reenacting has been frequently misquoted as it is being in this film. Here's what Amber heard actually said. I, you can please tell people that it was a fair fight and see what the see what the jury and judge think. Tell the world, Johnny. Tell them, Johnny Depp. I, Johnny Depp, man, I, I'm a victim too of domestic violence. And yes. I, you know, it's a fair fight. And see how many people believe or side with you. Now, do you notice how Amber doesn't say, I, Johnny, a man? She just says, I, Johnny, man. As in like, hey man, what up man? I joined up, man. I joined up, 
There's nothing in this clip that actually denotes Johnny's gender. But this one misquoted recording has become the center of an entire propaganda campaign, which was literally funded in part by right-wing reactionary media, to push this narrative that Amber Heard's defeat in the trial was some sort of righteous win for male victims of domestic violence. It wasn't a win for any victims of domestic violence, male or female. But the idea that it was helped normalize the backlash to the Me Too movement as if the movement was ever exclusionary toward men. The trial was presented as evidence by some people that not all female victims should be believed. So after that inaccurate reenactment of the recording, we get our first look at our Johnny and our Amber in this film. Now you might already notice something fishy about this casting. Amber Heard, who was about like 22-23 when she first met Johnny, and then 25 when they started dating, is played in the movie by a 34-year-old actress. Whereas Johnny, who was about 46 when he met Amber and 48 when they started dating, is played in the movie by an actor who I guess is 40 years old because I googled his age, but to me he actually looks a little bit younger. Now they do mention the age difference between Johnny and Amber in the movie, but just verbally acknowledging it isn't really enough when you've cast two actors who are roughly within the same age range to play two people who are over 20 years apart. So me auditioning for Nightmare on Elm Street was because I needed a job. The rest just sort of happened. I think that came out right after I was born. <laughs> It's just very bad visual storytelling, which undermines the actual power disparity between these two individuals. But as far as the actors' performances go, Johnny is played by Mark Hapka, who does like a decent Johnny impression, but in the way of like an SNL kind of impression, not something that feels very rooted in reality, but something that does definitely mimic the cadence and overall vibe of Johnny Depp, especially when Johnny's character is on the stand, so Mark could pretty much just copy whatever Johnny said in real life, like beat for beat, because we have recordings of that. There were um, arguments, arguments and, uh, and things of that nature, uh, but never- Things of that nature. Still, some of the ways that Mark reads some of his lines in the film is just really bizarre. Like at the very end of that opening reenactment, Mark says something where I thought for sure he was an Australian actor trying to do an American accent. Amber, I lost a fucking finger, man. Come on. Turns out he is American, so... I don't really know where some of his pronunciation of different things comes from. I think the worst line reading in the film, though, comes from someone who's just completely off screen. Johnny, are you ready? And there is also a lot of really bad ADR work. Now again, they did make this film in a couple weeks, so I can't expect it to be perfect, but it is interesting to note the fluctuating audio quality throughout pretty much every scene. Your favorite Melba mm -hmm. case. So it's not really a gift, you're just here to make fun of me. I would never do that. A Disney exec testified today that Johnny wasn't fired from Pirates because of Amber's piece in the Washington Post, and his former agent added, and what this? I want this, yeah. Let's take a look. What do we got here? <laughs> then Amber is played by Megan Davis. I don't think that Megan looks a whole lot like Amber, but her performance definitely feels more grounded and she does her best to try to make this portrayal of Amber feel like a real human being. She's spoken about having a lot of love and compassion for Amber, and I do think that that comes across in her performance. Unfortunately, whatever compassion she had for Amber 
wasn't really shared by the writers. And it really does feel like you're watching Johnny Depp fanfiction the way that the film constantly glorifies him or just makes excuses for his behavior. So there's this scene where it shows Johnny and Amber kissing for the first time on the set of The Rum Diaries. Now the scene goes on for way too fucking long. Cut. Johnny, Amber, cut. That moment felt, felt like something that I shouldn't be feeling. But right after that, they cut to a scene where Johnny is apologizing to Amber for the intensity of the kiss. Yes, I believe that I owe you an apology for that kissing scene. I swear I'm not usually that much of a method actor. I will try to be more careful in the future. Because the film needs to already excuse Johnny's behavior by being like, well, normally he is not someone who violates people's boundaries. That was just like a one-time thing. And then there are so many moments in the movie where Johnny comes across as really shy and almost timid. You can sit. Yes, I can. And then of course they have to portray Johnny's supposed generosity. How do you feel about some uh, tropical weather? So we headed to the island. Not we. You. What's this? Everything you need to get there. They paint that generosity as this unambiguous good without ever exploring the idea that maybe the reason that Johnny was financially supporting so many of the people and his and his ex-wife's lives was because he wanted to incentivize people to be loyal to him. Flimsy and flattering as Johnny's characterization in this film is, he gets quite a lot more of it than Amber, whose only real personality trait shown in the film is just that she's pretty horny a lot of the time. <laughs> Have another. It is your day. <laughs> Thank you, baby. The problem with Amber's depiction isn't even that it's particularly mean. It's at least not as mean-spirited as it could be, given the amount of demonization that Amber experienced during this trial. The problem is more so just that the movie doesn't seem to find Amber interesting as a person at all. It doesn't seem to make any effort to understand her, nor does it even seem to be aware of basic information about her life or career. Even though we get a lot of background info on Johnny. There's a lot of really clunky biographical dialogue about Johnny and his career. The writers just drop in random facts about him almost as a way to just prove that they did some amount of research. They read Johnny's Wikipedia page or something. Why do you always have a, that guitar with you? Music is the thing I love most in life. You know, I actually left Kentucky to move to Los Angeles to be a rock star. That didn't really work out. My friend who actually suggested I try my hand in acting set me up with his agent. So me auditioning for Nightmare on Elm Street was because I needed a job. The rest just sort of happened. Yeah, I have a girlfriend. Kids. Yeah. Kids. <laughs> yeah. Lily Rose and Jack, best kids in the world. But even apart from that, the Johnny of this film just has a life in the way that the Amber of the film does not. It shows him talking to members of his staff or showing up to children's hospitals in a Jack Sparrow costume because they've already established that Johnny has this passion for music. Music is the thing I love most in life. They let him have a literal musical number at the end of the film. I live my life with fortune and fame With all those riches 
It also wastes a few minutes of the film letting Johnny do these god-awful impressions. You know, Marlon Brando once told me something that always stuck with me. He said, Johnny, all of my mistakes in life and in show business, uh, when I said yes, when I should have said no. <clears throat> yeah, that's an excellent Brando. Thank you. You should do that for Captain Jack Sparrow instead of Keith Richards. <laughs> You'll always remember this as the day that you almost caught Captain Jack Sparrow. The film goes to painstaking lengths to make you feel bad for Johnny. It mentions the alleged abuse he suffered at the hands of his mother multiple times. His mother used to boil over daily. You know, my mom may have been a mean woman. I think she made a mean sandwich. When I was a kid, whenever things would go sideways, my mom, which was daily, because she's out of her fucking mind. Despite never once acknowledging the abuse that Amber alleges she faced at the hands of her father. The most you get is a passing reference that Amber's dad is a drug addict. But even then, it's not something that's acknowledged as having a severe impact on Amber in her childhood. What are you doing? Who are you in there with? Uh, your dad. My dad? He's supposed to be sober. Maybe it's a party. Johnny and Amber discuss Amber's movie roles in the film, which kind of seems based in real life in the way it's portrayed. Another one with James Franco? No, it's Billy Bob Thornton. Are you jealous of him, too? I don't know. Is there sex in it? The real life Johnny and Amber definitely did fight over Amber's movie roles. In fact, they constantly fought about Amber's overall expressions of sexuality. Amber told her therapist in 2012 that Johnny told her that she dresses like a whore and instructed her to no longer wear low-cut dresses, shirts, etc. In 2014, Amber sent an email to her then assistant asking her assistant to ensure that Johnny didn't see any of her one-liners on her schedule out of concern that he would notice the romantic nature of the scenes with James. James Franco and get really mad at Amber. In May of 2014, Amber told her therapist that Johnny had gotten really mad at her after she had posed with James Franco on the set of a film, causing Johnny to threaten to break up with her and then cut and burn himself in front of her. During the infamous fight in Australia, Johnny vandalized the house while Amber was sleeping and wrote, starring Billy Bob Easy Amber on a mirror due to his jealousy over Amber being in a movie with Billy Bob Thornton. There are also audio recordings of Johnny calling Amber a leftover over-the-hill stripper. Fucking, you are a leftover fucking over-the-hill stripper. And that's all you'll ever be. Johnny once angrily emailed the producers of London Fields to demand that all of Amber's nude scenes were cut out. Now all of that stuff is left out of the film. What remains is a scene in which Johnny is telling Amber that she doesn't need to do sex scenes anymore because it's demeaning and he's just trying to protect her. And Amber is still shown as being so hypersexual that it's almost as if the potential for sexual exploitation or objectification has just never occurred to her. Johnny sees the ways that Amber is being taken advantage of in ways that she just can't. I mean, there's sex in every movie. But not like the sex that we You know, you don't have to take these roles to do nothing for you, right? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because they're demeaning. 
Yeah. I just want what's best for you. I think that the people involved in this film thought they could get away with calling this a neutral telling of events, just because throughout the movie, they will have the actors narrating their own specific perspectives on different things that allegedly happened throughout the relationship. So at times, they will show two different versions of the same incidents, which means technically they're telling both sides, except they aren't. First of all, Johnny's side is emphasized to a significant degree. There are times when the actors will literally turn to camera to narrate their experiences. And here's the first time that that happens for Johnny's character. I did take pause, of course, at the fact that she was visibly shaken or upset that I had, that I had broken her rules of routine. I thought that strange. And then once you, once you notice something like that, you, you start to notice other uh, little tidbits uh, that come out. By contrast, here's the first time that Amber turns to the camera. He got me a bicycle. What's worse, though, is that this storytelling technique is used super inconsistently throughout the entire movie. You do not see both sides of every event. And every scene where there is only one side portrayed, it's always Johnny's side. Like you see Amber getting upset at Johnny because he took off his own boots. What did you just do? What do you mean? You took your boots off. That's my job. Oh yeah, you, you were busy. That's my job, you don't do that. All right, sorry. It's fine, I'll, I'll get you a glass of wine. That scene is never shown from Amber's perspective. It's taken as a given that what Johnny said happened is just what happened. But at least that's like a he said, she said kind of thing. There are other moments where Johnny gives his perspective on events and the filmmakers just actively ignore anything that could possibly contradict his account. You told this jury that Mr. Depp was jealous of her, right? You said that he tried to burn one of her paintings, right? You said that he tried to burn it with a cigarette lighter, right? Why would I do something this stupid? Why would Johnny do something that stupid? I don't know. Probably for the same reason that he crossed off Tasia's last name on one of her paintings and wrote Tasia Van P. I'm supposed to believe that Johnny wanting to light one of those paintings on fire is ridiculous? even though he definitely did vandalize them. They even show part of the testimony for one of Amber's expert witnesses as a way to like disprove the allegation that Johnny used to hire someone to feed him his lines through an earpiece on the set of his films. What you found hard to believe, sir, was that every line of a script was being pumped through an earpiece. Where did you ever get the idea that that occurred? From the court evidence, from the, the court review that I read. So you know that it was music? Oh. His music, not, not his lines. Despite the fact that Johnny has acknowledged doing this before. Years ago, he did an interview with Rolling Stone where the author wrote, According to the suit, Depp kept a sound engineer on the payroll so he could feed him lines through an earpiece while filming. This Depp does not deny, saying the sounds fed to him made him act with just his eyes. This is such a commonly known thing in the industry that other actors have made jokes about it. You haven't let the orchestra played into your ear? 
Are you Johnny Depp? Like, what's going on? My lines. I haven't memorized exactly. my lines. Feed them to me. There is some pushback on some of the things that Johnny claims in the movie and did claim during his testimony in the trial. Like in his claim that Amber is the sole reason he lost his Pirates of the Caribbean role. My Jack Sparrow. Those pricks of Disney, man, they, t they listen to her lies, her allegations. She says I hit her. I've never laid a finger on her, man. You know me. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. A Disney exec testified today that Johnny wasn't fired from Pirates because of Amber's piece in the Washington Post, and his former agent added, because he was always late to set and was costing them millions. But then even in the scene where Johnny is talking about that, they completely ignore something else that he says. We signed a deal. We signed a deal not to badmouth each other, and she broke it. So what Johnny means here when he references signing a deal with Amber is that after Amber filed for a restraining order against him in 2016, there was a little bit of back and forth between Amber and Johnny's team in the media. They eventually released a public statement saying they were just gonna try to handle everything privately from then on, and then also privately signed NDAs saying that they were never going to talk about their relationship publicly ever again. So Johnny in this scene is complaining that Amber broke the NDA by writing this Washington Post article where she references herself as a victim of domestic violence even though she doesn't actually name Johnny once or even say that she was abused. She says that she was someone representing abuse and she said that men accused of abuse are protected. That's it. On a technical level, Amber never said that she was actually a victim of abuse, and she never said that her ex-husband was an abuser. That op-ed was very, very vague in how it referenced Amber's former relationship. What was quite a lot less vague was the interview that Johnny did with GQ two months prior, where he like straight up called Amber a liar and an opportunist. So just so we're clear, Johnny Depp broke the NDA first, and more severely. The only time the filmmakers really use this back and forth competing narratives technique is when they're addressing allegations that Amber made so that they can offer Johnny an opportunity to respond to them. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think or how to react. It just hit me. didn't happen. And even then, they don't acknowledge a lot of Amber's most significant allegations. They show parts of the Australia incident and let Johnny accuse Amber of cutting off the tip of his finger. Every time you promise me and you never remember, you never do what you promise. Felt no pain whatsoever. What I felt was. I felt heat. I felt heat and as if something were dripping down my hand. But they never once even referenced the allegation that Johnny raped Amber during that trip. Even though notes from the doctor that Johnny saw when his finger got cut off kinda contradict the idea that Amber cut it with a bottle, while notes from Amber's therapist prior to that incident indicate that Amber had been alleging sexual violence in the relationship 
for years before that incident. Because this film is called Hot Take, though, of course they tried to incorporate some of the social media discourse that was happening at the time, and they do that by showing these different TikTok videos that are supposed to represent the kind of content that was being uploaded at the time. But the TikToks that they've created for this film, I would describe as like a boomer's idea of what millennial content looks like, but on an app that is dominated by Zoomers. What up, Omar fans? Get this, Johnny Depp's lawsuit against Amber Heard is going to be live streamed. Get ready for a wild ride of sex, violence, and pirates. Everything about it is just cringy and off. Which is almost impressive in the way that this is not like a fictional plotline in which you would have to use your imagination to come up with what content on social media would look like covering this case. We know what TikToks covering this trial would look like considering they were very, very prevalent this time last year. But there are three TikTok characters that it shows over and over again who come in to offer some sort of commentary on these events. One is a comedian commentator who is mostly just covering this trial because of the entertainment value and the spectacle of it. He is primarily making fun of Amber and her team. I have a theory what she might be looking at. My dog stepped on a bee. And then the second one is a Johnny Stan who is just clearly in love with him. What up fam, Casey here, and I'm so excited. This is basically like living with Johnny for six weeks. <laughs> I can't wait. Get the witch, Johnny, get her. And of course, both these types of people existed during the trial, but obviously their characterization here is a little reductive, though really like, only a little. The third TikToker is a domestic violence victims advocate. My name is Tess Flaherty, and I am a victims violence advocate. It is extremely difficult for a survivor of abuse to detail the violence done to them in front of their perpetrator. In this case, she'll be doing it in front of the world as well. She comes on to explain the dynamics of abuse and why Amber might act in certain ways in different situations. So she's like the one person in the film that is actually trying to defend Amber. And what's frustrating about her is, this is kind of an accurate depiction of the mainstream media's pro-Amber support. Because throughout the trial, the only people with significant platforms who were defending Amber were advocating for her side in a way in which they were just explaining points about like Darvo or power dynamics in abusive relationships. And those things definitely, definitely are important, especially in explaining why some of Amber's reactive behavior might be seen by people as abusive without the proper context of the entire relationship. But what would have also been very, very useful during the trial is some real-time fact-checking of the things that Johnny Depp was saying. And there is such a good example of this in the film, specifically in how this TikToker defends Amber during the Australia incident. Because in Johnny's version of events, the fighting between him and Amber started when Amber discovered that he had filed for a post-nup. And they didn't even show me the papers. It was just like a sample post-nuptial agreement. I mean, what is, what is that even about? Hello? Do you hear me? Okay, I, I don't know what you mean. I'm not even in your will. Amber, I haven't had Johnny, time. I'm not even in your will. Do you understand? Hey, where the hell do you think you're going? To which the abuse expert comes in and says, well, a lot of couples fight about money, so that wouldn't be weird. Amber wouldn't be unreasonable to be upset about that. It's just a fact. 
Most marital arguments are about money. So that's Amber's entire defense, with no mention of all the evidence that Amber was actually the one to try to get a post-snup going, which Johnny was allegedly very opposed to. In 2014, she told her then-therapist that she wasn't opposed to the idea of a prenup, but Johnny didn't want one, allegedly telling her that the only way one of them was getting out of this marriage was through death. Of course, those therapy notes were one of the pieces of evidence that was precluded from the trial. They are currently accessible to the public, but when Tubi was making this film, obviously they hadn't really been leaked yet. But even during the trial itself, it was revealed that Amber had hired an attorney to draft a post-snub. And during the fight in Australia, Johnny found out about that and called that attorney to fire her on Amber's behalf. Please describe the telephone call from Mr. Depp. My recollection is that he was very mean, um, that he called me names, and that he fired me on behalf of them. My only exact recollection is he called me a bitch. Ms. Mulroney, when did your attorney-client relationship with Ms. Heard relating to a potential post-nuptial agreement terminate? Shortly after that phone call. There are other times in the movie where there are pretty provable allegations being lobbied against Johnny that neither Johnny nor anyone in his defense can actually contradict, so instead they just downplay and make excuses for them. For instance, the allegation about Johnny's substance abuse, something that Amber has claimed played a huge role in Johnny's abuse of her. No one can deny the fact that Johnny is in fact a drug addict, but they can let Johnny talk about his addiction in a way that is self deprecating and relatable enough to convince you that his drug addiction wasn't that big of a deal. He was very, very sick for at least two days. I decided I needed to do something to help him. She had a point. I might have been going a little too hard. Or, if it was a big deal, it was something that you should actually just pity Johnny for instead of seeing it as evidence of Amber's claims. As we were all growing up, uh, there was always those kids that uh, say, uh, let's party, let's go party, I want to party. I've never used the word party in my life. I mean, you literally used that word earlier in the movie. He's supposed to be sober. Maybe it's a party. I've taken these substances uh, over the years, on and off, uh, to numb, to numb myself of, 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 uh, of the, the, the ghosts of, of, of uh, from my, my youth. And then as Johnny is portraying his addictions as a kind of self-medication, the movie immediately rolls into a scene in which Amber is berating Johnny. I wish I had fucking had him. I wish I had fucking had him. I wish I had fucking hadn't bought any of your fucking lies, your fucking bullshit, your sober fucking presence. It was essentially, it was just self-medication. One of those get me out of here moments. And you know where you want to escape from is your own brain. Your own head. Suck my dick. 
They are explicitly endorsing the idea that Johnny's drug abuse was caused by Amber's abuse of him. And that is truly disgusting considering the fact that Johnny himself tried to make Amber feel responsible for his addictions. I thought you'd get clean and sober and we'd fix a lot of our problems. I'm never getting clean and sober. I know. <laughs> I missed so many more problems. It would be hard. Well, you can deal with like them or Like yesterday, not. like yesterday, our conversations were going so much better and then in they deteriorated like today they're so bad today and it would have I woke up beautifully I and woke up beautifully you used to drink the harder it can get you know hmm? the harder you, it is when you use a drink like look at today how much more up and down and violent and sideways it no, is no 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 you have no understanding about that you really really no. really are naive so much you go why do you drink so much why do you drink all the time why do you do this why do you do that it was because of me you yes it's my fault you drink okay it's not your fault it's just that's why i did it and they don't just paint Amber as abusive in her relationship with Johnny. They also heavily imply that Amber was abusive in her relationship with Tasia Von Ray. You committed domestic violence against Miss Van Ree during your relationship, didn't you? No, I did not. You assaulted her at a Seattle airport in 2009, didn't you? No, I did not. never mentioning the fact that Tasia herself has denied those allegations. The only person that has ever upheld the allegation that Amber was abusive to Tasia is a random fucking airport security officer who Johnny's team very manipulatively had called as a witness to try to contradict Tasia's claims that she thought Amber really only got arrested because the officer who arrested her seemed to have some misogynistic and homophobic attitudes toward Amber and Tasia because they were a lesbian couple. Because this airport security officer also happened to be a lesbian, so how could she be homophobic or misogynistic? Even though, number one, internalized homophobia and misogyny do exist, and number two, Amber wasn't arrested by an airport security officer. She was arrested by a male police officer, and that is who Tasia was referring to. As soon as they found out that we were um, partners, which we were not going to be arrested for before, as soon as they found out we were partners, the male cop, not this other woman who's later been brought into the press, <laughs> uh, this male cop, uh, put me in handcuffs. But if you needed any more evidence that this movie is explicitly Team Johnny, let me draw your attention to two quotes that just kind of bookend this entire film. The first being from Johnny himself. I felt it my uh, responsibility to, uh, to stand up not only for uh, myself in this instance, but to uh, stand up for my children and for the truth. <laughs> my goal is the truth. My goal is the truth. And then the second being from one of his attorneys. Do you think this trial has been bad for women? I had a mother take her daughter out of school and drive her to watch the trial. And during one of the breaks, she stopped me and she, 
said, I, I even get emotional, because she said, I took my daughter out of school. It was important enough because I wanted her to meet you. This trial, it's about the truth. It's not even really subtext at this point. They are very outwardly implying that the truth is on Johnny's side, even though in real life, it just wasn't. That's why Johnny lost the trial in the UK, which anyone could have looked into and realized had way more evidence on Amber's side that was for some reason just completely excluded from being heard by the Fairfax County trial jury. And it's why very quickly after Amber filed her appeal brief, Johnny's lawsuit against Amber was suddenly settled and the Fairfax trial verdict was voided with a deal that was pretty beneficial to Amber. She had to pay him like a million dollars, which was covered by her insurance. And there's no gag order on her. She can talk about this shit whenever she wants. And you can say that Johnny settled because he just didn't want to fight anymore or whatever. But not only was Johnny also appealing, so definitely seems like he was still interested in fighting, that settlement occurred before Amber's appeal was even granted. And appeals are pretty hard to win. There was no guarantee that they were going to go to trial again, but for whatever reason, Johnny didn't want to risk it. And I think the reason is pretty obviously, he knew very well that the Fairfax trial was biased and fucked up, and he'd rather settle quietly than have her appeal granted, which might lead members of the public to look into the allegations about how fucked up that court process actually was. Now, unfortunately for Johnny, the tide is definitely turning in Amber's favor, which makes me kind of glad that this 2B film does exist, because now it can just act as a relic of a time in which a lot of the public fed into the spectacle of the Depp v. Heard case without actually having a lot of the information that was necessary to understand these allegations. So great job, Tubi. You did it. You made a movie that was in fact pretty timely. You know this? You know this? Of course I know this. Let's hear it. With all the rich and many friends came. You've, you've good taste in music. You like this, Smith? Yeah. To die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. I love him.